Welcome to Travel Unites Us, a podcast featuring stories straight from the heart of travel. I'm Aaron Schlein, and I'll be your co-pilot on this journey. My friend Rich D'Ambrosio and I started Travel Unites Us to share the human stories from real travelers, stories that get to the heart of who they are and what they do. Rich will be your host on this episode. Be sure to check out TravelUnitesUs.com for all the latest from the Travel Unites Us community. <laughs> Matheson is a phenomenal travel advisor with an exceptional passion for a specific city that I fell in love with the first time I visited 20, 30 years ago, close to 30 years ago. Oh my gosh, I'm that old. Um, Julia, how are you today? I'm great. I'm great. And I think the first time I went there myself was about 30 years ago as well. <laughs> um, you know, Julia, I, I learned about Julia's passion just by following her online. But um, I really learned about Julia's passion last year when um, when we had that unfortunate incident where uh, the roof of the Notre Dame Cathedral um, burned and immediately Julia was actually at a conference and someone said to me, Rich, you got to speak to Julia. <laughs> and we talked a little bit about her history with Paris and why it was such a big part of her heart and soul. And, and because of that, why she's the perfect person for you if you want to go to Paris in your post coronavirus life. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so tell us about those 30 years. How, when did you go there first? Why? What did you experience? And how, have you, how has that evolved in your business and in your personal life since then? So I'll sort of start and I'll try and keep it short. Um, my grandmother, I was very fortunate to have a grandmother that was a bit of a world traveler herself. Uh -huh. and she started the tradition of taking a grandmother grandkid trip. Yep. And the first group were boys. And so she and, and the old aunties and whatever took the boys that were graduating from high school on a trip. And then the next kind of couple of years later, it was girls time. And so she planned a mother, daughter, granddaughter trip to London and Paris on a river cruise before there were river cruises, really. Um, and since I was I was 12 but I got to join, <laughs> I got to tag along. <laughs> um, unfortunately, she ended up passing away, but we did the trip anyway. And I also kind of idolized my sister, my older sister um, who was graduating that year and she was taking French. And so some combination of my idolizing my sister and seeing Paris from the river for the first time in France in general, it just all, um, I really, I, I don't think I knew how much I fell in love with it at the time, but I totally, you know, kind of fell in instant love. And when I really understood how much I connected with the city was the next time I got to go, which I was by this time I was in high school and I was taking French and uh, my French teacher and, and the German teacher, they led a trip to Europe for students. And I was lucky enough to go on that. And the second I walked out of the train station in Paris, I just was like, ah, oh, I'm here. I'm back. <laughs> so that was that was approximately what, like a five or six year difference from the. No, that was only probably a four, three, two or three year difference. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think I was about fifteen when I went the second time. Any, and any fond memories from that second time? 
just a few. <laughs> um, the Some of the biggest things that stood out is I still remember the breakfast that we had in the train station. We had hot chocolate and croissants. And I just remember being like, this is the greatest thing that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> um, and seeing all the architecture that, you know, all the architecture. The rooms and all oh, yeah. yeah rooms and all of that. Um, and then also my French teacher, she was uh, one of those just fantastic teachers that kind of knows when to push a, a kid. And since I had been to Paris before, she put me in charge of navigating us through the metro one day, like the one day that we were not guided around or whatever. And so I had to sort of, I was not the, I was only a sophomore, I think, and there were seniors on the trip and, you know, and so I had to like kind of explain to people how to use the Metro and how to get us from one place to the other. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, all kinds of fun memories too, of just being kids. I, I went with my ex-wife, we were uh, traveling to World Travel Mart in London. And I said, you know what, let's just fly over to Paris. We're gonna be here for seven days. Let's take three extra days. Let's go over to Paris. And I'll never forget getting off the metro and walking over towards the Eiffel Tower. I think it was our first full day in Paris. Mm. And we ordered, ordered. We purchased a baguette from some little kiosk on the street. Yeah. And it, at, what was I at that point? 27, 28 years old. At that point, it was the most delicious thing I've <laughs> ever eaten. Yeah. Pretty much. And it was just so odd to eat street food and say to yourself, this is phenomenal. The flavor <laughs> filled my mouth. And I'm like, this is unreal. <laughs> <laughs> the bread. And and I remember that from those early trips as being like, I've never had bread that this that's that's good. No. I mean, you don't even need to put butter on it. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so good. <laughs> so how many times have you been there since? You know, I tried to count up recently um because I created a new webpage on my um on my on my webpage, my website Which to is? www.traveljuliasway.com and then there's a new a France page I mean it's over 20 because there was a period in my life where I went at least at least every other year if not every year um, from about like junior year when I studied and lived there for a year through till because I've always worked internationally even before I was in travel um, and so I just, you know, I ended up having to go to Paris for meetings or I would take other friends there or my family would go back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's besides living there twice for two different, sh you know, shorter stints, anyway, uh, somewhere around 20 times. And have you ever been able to put your finger on that city versus the dozens of other cities you've ever traveled to? Do you know what the connection is for you? No, I really don't because there, I mean, I love London and, and Rome. I mean, you know, there are fantastic cities and it's not that Paris is any better, but it's just kind of home. Like yeah. ever since that, that kind of those, when I was a kid trips, you know, if somebody asked me directions, I generally can help them, you know, um, especially now that my French is, is pretty fluent, <laughs> which is, you know, that's exciting is when you're on the street and somebody asks you something, they think you're a local. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's very cool. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to be honest, that first time I lived there when I was an undergrad, I got really homesick. It, it, I was ready to move home. Now I look back and I'm like, what was wrong with me? I should have stayed the whole year. <laughs> but, um, it, there's just something about the mood and the food and the the atmosphere and the history. There's just something about it that just connects with me. 
that first time that I visited Paris, we were staying at a hotel um, over near the Opera House. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it the Grand Hotel? I, f- I forget the name of it. Oh, very big one. Yeah. Intercontinental Grand. That's yep. my first hotel too. <laughs> and uh, we walked, somehow we found our way to Place Vendôme mm-hmm. and we're getting finally at the Seine. And for the first time, we the the roof lines in front of us were low enough that we could actually see the city in some depth and breadth. Mm-hmm. And it took my breath away. Mm-hmm. There's something about Paris that just, you know, there's the Eiffel Tower way out in the distance and you look up to the right and there's the, you know, the Champs-Élysées mm-hmm. and you're just like, Oh my God, it really is that beautiful. And I remember we were, um, uh, when I took my family with my uh, nieces and nephews, a couple of years, two, three years ago, we went as a family and the whole bus ride, we were, we'd gone to Montmartre and Montmartre is really cute. We'd had a- I've not yet been. Yeah, and so we had we'd done that in that, that day, but we were on our way to the hotel and we went and we were driving around and everyone was kind of like, oh yeah, Moulin Rouge, okay, yeah. And then we pulled into Place Vendôme and everyone just sort of went, oh, like the whole bus just was like, ooh. And I was like, yay, we did it. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, so anybody who's listening, who's a traveler, this is what you're looking for. You know, if you're looking for that, you know, I, I'm not even going to say je ne sais quoi because I'm probably going to butcher it, but I just did. Um, <laughs> That's what I say. Wherever you are. But if you're looking for a moment or a bunch of moments that are just going to make your heart soar, Paris is definitely that city. What do you like to do for clients, Julia, who who are kind of probing and thinking about Paris? How do you lead them along to understand what that experience would be like, either by your storytelling or the suppliers that you work with and the, the trips that you try to arrange so that they do everything in some kind of you know, easy order. Talk to us a little bit about how you do that. Well, so I kind of like to say that there are four must do's and you kind of, I'd like to sort of split them up if possible into four days. They don't Uh have to be, um, but I think the part of the charm and the beauty and the the way that you fall in love with Paris is to not have things planned and to have time to wander and poke into that store or stop and get a crepe on that corner. And so I, I like to sort of, do the four biggies, as I call them, spread out. And it's a little bit different now, but those are the Louvre, Notre Dame, which you can't really go into Notre Dame anymore, but that sort of gets combined into a city tour of that heart central part of Paris. Right. Um, the Eiffel Tower. And uh, of course, now I am blanking on the fourth. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll find it later. I know. Like, there's a fourth big thing that I'm completely blanking and Why do you like it? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about serendipity and maybe a little bit more time, but tell us a little bit more about how breaking that up works. Well, so because those are like, if you do each one of those things, you get sort of a different slice of Paris and a different slice of its history. Like the Louvre, the reason why I love the Louvre and I always suggest doing it with a private guide um, because this building is amazing. And the building itself is amazing mm-hmm. because it was a prison. It was a royal palace. It's been it's been in that spot in Paris for, um, you know, not quite 2000, you know, over a thousand years. And so now they have in the basements, you can go and see the old uh, moat walls of when it was a fortress and see, you know, and you can learn about that. And the other thing with the Louvre is it's so freaking ginormous that if you try and go see it by yourself, 
you're just going to get lost. And especially if you're just going to see the Mona Lisa, which I hate and hate when people do that, um, <laughs> you're going to get lost and you're going to get overwhelmed and you're not going to have a good time. You're going to get hot and tired and miserable and be in crowds and not be happy. But if you go with a guide and they take you through the history of the building and they take you through the history of art from the ancient Egyptians through to the Greeks through to Renaissance um, paintings and, and to the Mona Lisa, you get a better understanding of how it all fits together. And I mean, I had, I had, I mean, I've been at the Louvre a bajillion times. And the last time I went with my family, we had a private guide and it was the best art history lesson in two hours I've ever had in my life. And so if you do it that way, you can do the Louvre in two, three hours instead of spending the whole day and getting lost and getting frustrated. Right. And then you can move on with your day. And if you're not a huge art fan, you can, you know, kind of let the guide know and they will give you the highlights and kind of get you in and out as quickly as you want. And so, you know, that's why like, that's why I always suggest a private guide for the Louvre. There are really cool like scavenger hunts for kids that I always like to suggest that um, that really helps, you know, a kid connect because they don't understand what any of that stuff is, you know, so. Well, I I'll tell you, what you just pointed out is the other big part of why people should be using a travel advisor, especially somebody who has a passion for a couple of specialties. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing from you is, is kind of the conundrum for so many of us independent travelers. Even if you buy a guidebook that tells you you're going to go to Amsterdam or Paris mm -hmm. and here's where you're going to go, nobody's really going to give you that context that helps you understand what you're seeing across a longer narrative. Because when we just think about Da Vinci and the Mona Lisa, or if we just think about, I'm not sure who else is in the loop other than Da Vinci. Anyway. <laughs> but when you have somebody like you hooking someone up with someone who's who can do that contextual narrative, mm -hmm. it's so much more enriching mm -hmm. than and stumbling on ideas or bringing your smartphone along and hoping you Google an accurate depiction of what you're looking at. Well, I mean, I've done museums. We all have. Where you're like, okay, wait, it says that I'm supposed to find this painting, and it's special because of this. And you're like, oh, okay, is that, I think that's the one. Okay, great. Right. Moving, what you know, and you're like looking down at the book, and it's it's not. I don't know. To me, it's not that enjoyable. And and it's. I'll tell you, you know, I Google and and the internet access has definitely made some things easier. I I recently took an AMA cruise on the Danube. And when I got to certain places and I would just try to figure out who am I looking at? What's that statue? And then you could start putting some of the pieces together going, oh my God, all of my high school Western European history is coming back to me. Yeah. Where the different pieces fit, but yeah. I was lucky to be able to do that. Mm. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about some of the, the clients that you've worked with in Paris where they've they've had that experience working with you, where they're like, oh my God, I I Man, maybe it wasn't their first time. Maybe it was their second or third time. But where you help them see the bigger picture? Yeah. Well, the other thing, like I sort of mentioned with Notre Dame, the other thing I always like to do is either the the, the day that you arrive, because I'm big about getting over jet lag and kind of hitting the ground running, yep. um, or the first morning that you're there, doing a walking tour, doing a walking tour of old Paris. And so, you know, and again, with an expert guide, because like, I know, again, I've lived in Paris and I've been there a million times. And when I went, I uh, escorted a group um, a couple years ago and we did this really cool tour through kind of the back streets. We went to a bunch of cathedrals. So this was the pilgrimage I did a couple years ago. 
Um, we went to a bunch of the old cathedrals. And so we were walking from one to the other. And, you know, I learned so much about that neighborhood and that part of Paris that I would have never known before. And, and we saw really neat things that I had never seen, like the, the narrowest um, alleyway in Paris, or the narrowest street in Paris, you know, like little things that I've probably walked by, but never knew to like, look at them. And, and so, you know, the people that were on that trip said like, oh my God, that was the greatest, you know, again, like two, three hours walking tour that we've ever had. And, you know, the guide pointed out so many amazing things to us that we would have never seen or never known. Right. And so like, even if you were just walking around that neighborhood by yourself, it, it's a charming neighborhood. So great, but you wouldn't have learned all this different history and, you know, learned how it fit into either the French resistance or the French revolution, you know, both of those different things. So let's take the average American traveler who finally gets a passport. Odds mm -hmm. are they're going to either do Canada or Mexico. Right. They finally jump across the Atlantic. They're probably right. going to do the UK because it's English speaking. Yep, it's easy. Less intimidating. Um, less intimidating. <laughs> um, how do you, what, what do you see in the personality of people who are ready to make the jump to a country where the language is different um, and maybe a little bit more exotic, if you want to call it that, than London and Dublin and some of the, you know, mm -hmm. the typical UK destinations. What does that look like? And how do you encourage them to, to make the journey to Paris? To be honest, I don't usually have to convince people um, because Paris is usually either number one or number two on a lot of people's bucket lists. Yeah. Um, or they've heard about it and they know they have to go. And so they're like, mom, you know, my kid really wants to go. So I'm going, or, you know, I really want to, you know, have a romantic time with my wife. And so we're going to go to Paris, you know? So I'm so somewhat lucky in that sense that Paris has such a reputation. It's so renowned. I mean, I think it is still the most visited um, city in the world. So what I actually have to convince people of is to try out another place. <laughs> to maybe spend, you know, if they're going for a week and they've got a week planned, go and spend two nights out in the countryside. You know, either if you want more art and history and culture, go down to the Loire Valley for a night or two, stay in a chateau. Or if you're really into World War II, go out to Normandy, but instead of spending a huge long day doing it, go out and spend two nights, you know, either in a little village or again in the countryside and and really go in depth and see all of those Nor Normandy sites because as much as I adore Paris and I do, there are other beautiful, wonderful places in France that you can visit easily from Paris, even on your own. So how that, about Stras is Strasbourg one of those? Strasbourg is great. It's a little further, um, but it's still a very easy train ride um, from Paris. Both Normandy and Loire are only like an hour train, so it's like super easy. Right. Strasbourg is maybe two, three hours. Um, by train, but it, but it's usually a direct train. And Strasbourg's fantastic. I mean, if you've visited it, a lot of people visit on river cruises because it's on the Rhine. Um, but it's in that that part of France, Alsace, that was fl flipped back and forth between Germany over the centuries. So it's this really neat Germanic culture, super charming, um, lovely, gorgeous cathedral. That cathedral is one of my favorites. Um, and 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 there's really good wine around Strasbourg as well, and really cool villages. And so yeah, Strasbourg would definitely be another place. Probably be better if you maybe had three nights, but but two nights there would be fine too. So so what would be an ideal package for you for a first timer to Paris? You know, how many nights? 
you, you said trying to maybe at least do four days so that you can spread out those four major things you want people to see there. Um, what do you, what do you ideally like to sell? Um, so most Americans have sort of a week and with that, I mean, I mean some, so a week to 10 days, if it's a week then I do what I said, I do at least four, if not five nights in Paris and then two nights otherwise in another spot, depending on what the client is most interested in. Um, if they have 10 days, then almost always it's Paris, almost again, four or five nights at a minimum, and then usually Provence or maybe the Riviera. Um, that again, going down, taking a train to Avignon, super easy. It's only maybe two or three hours. Um, and from Avignon, you can either go, you know, out to the get a little villa in the Luberon for three or four nights, depending on how much you time you have. Um, you know, and there's so much fabulous stuff to do in Provence. So I love doing Provence itineraries. Um, <laughs> like what? Yeah, well, especially if you want to rent a car. I mean, like I said, there's the villages of the Luberon, which um, I don't know if you know the book by Peter Mayer. Oh, no. ah. So this is all the little cute hilltop villages that are like with kind of red stone buildings and uh, the lavender and sunflower fields and there's all kinds of wine. Um, there's also a lot of Roman ruins along the Rhone River, which goes from Lyon down to the, the Mediterranean. But so Lyon um, and then down Avignon and Arles. So there are cool Roman like arenas, um, the Roman aqueduct, the famous aqueduct, which is um, uh, it's the Pont du Gard. Uh, I have a picture of it somewhere right up there. Um, <laughs> but uh, Pont du Gard is an amazing spot for an afternoon or a day. You can canoe down the river. And it, I mean, it's it's Roman. It's this giant aqueduct. There's a museum. Um, you can even just hang out on the, the pebble beach and swim in the water. Um, there's a great wine tasting. Both Chateauneuf-de-Pape is a region. And then the Côte du Rhône region is gorgeous. Um, if you go further into Provence, Provence, there's Aix-en-Provence, which is a really cute university town where Cezanne painted. Um, you've got Marseille, <laughs> Castille. I mean, just, oh the, I mean, it just goes on. How long you've been there 20 times? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have probably spent, you see all that. <laughs> I know you can't. I have probably spent, I, I counted it up the last time I was there, at least three or if not a little bit longer than three weeks total in all my travels in Provence and I still haven't seen it all. Right, yeah. um, because there's so, like I have not done truly the villages in the Louvre and that's one of my dream trips is to get a group of friends and spend a week in a villa and just, cause you go to all these different villages and each village has market day on a different day. I mean, going to a market in Provence, going to a market in Paris is cool. And that's like definitely something I try and encourage clients to do. and and make sure that they have in their schedule. But going to a market in Provence is like an extra level. It's like so charming. And like they just have all this fresh flowers, fresh produce, um, crazy yummy cheeses. I mean, you know, it's just some of them are antique focused since you can get antiques. I mean, there's, I could go on. <laughs> and it's okay too. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know the thing that I loved um, the most mm -hmm. when I was in Paris three or four times now that I've been there um, is um, the wandering. Mm -hmm. I, 
know, I've I've not been to Italy, as crazy as that sounds. Oh, wow. um, but I have been to most of the other major European cities. Uh -huh. uh, and what I love the most about visiting any city is that those serendipitous moments. Are there neighborhoods that are not traditional um, neighborhoods like Momar? Um, is that where the Spanish steps are? Uh, Spanish steps are in Rome, um, but there are steps in Montmartre. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's the steps okay. up to the Yeah, uh, Montmartre is where the um, the big white church uh, sacre coeur is. That's if you right. saw, yeah, if you saw the movie Amelie, a lot of Amelie was filmed around Montmartre. And Montmartre is a really funky, um, it's the old artist quarter where like, um, well, not so much Monet, more like Renoir and Degas and, and those guys like painted mm -hmm. because it was countryside at that point in Paris. Now it's totally not. But um, parts of it are, I don't love, parts of it are super overrun. There's a little artist square where people are still out selling their art and doing art and stuff. And that's that between that and the church, the cathedral, the basilica, it's super crowded and it's super touristy. Um, but if you just go like a block away, I mean, it quiets down and you get to like the real Montmartre and it's so charming. So, but yeah, there are tons of neighborhoods that are really, really charming and quiet and very residential that tourists never go to. And they're some of my favorite areas. I mean, I don't know if the Marais is still like that. So I think it's pretty well caught on now that it's a really great neighborhood. But like Place des Vosges is one of my favorite parks in the city. And I, I know on nice days, the locals swamp it. I know it can be really crowded, but if you're a traveler and you stumble onto it because it's kind of like an enclosed courtyard almost except for really big um and all of the buildings are all the same they're all built in the same style because they were built at one time and mm -hmm. like hugo's house is there there's one of my favorite hotels is on one side of it uh pavillon de la reine great luxury collection property um but the square so it's completely symmetrical and it, the trees are planted such and the fountain and the and it's just if you just stumble into it, you look like, you feel like you've walked into ancient times. Like it's so lovely and beautiful. And it, it, I understand why locals flood it in the on warm days because it's a really lovely park to like sit in. Um, and so, you know, and then like, you know, there's a building you can cut through to get, you know, whatever, there's really cool stuff in the Marais because it's such an old neighborhood yeah. and like all these hidden courtyards and stuff. So that's a really neat neighborhood to, to explore. So, how about neighborhoods over near the Eiffel Tower? Are they overrun as well? No. So the Eiffel Tower itself is crazy busy and crazy, um, yeah, right under it and right around it. And, you know, tons of Trotskys and buses and uh, But, in fact, if you go to the other end, so under the Eiffel Tower, there's the park that, that leads down. It's called the Champs de Mars or the, the well, I don't know, the, the war training field. And at the end of that is the Ecole Militaire. And all of the neighborhood around that is super residential, super nice, super quiet. There's some really charming hotels down. That's in the seventh arrondissement or the, the seventh neighborhood. Uh -huh. And that area is generally really quiet, very local friendly. It's also a pretty good bargain because it's not in the midst of all the touristy stuff. Um, so I do, I love that neighborhood as well. Rue Claire is in there and that's a, one of my favorite pedestrian streets. Yeah. And then also on the other side of the river, cause you know, the Eiffel Tower is right there along the Seine. On the other side of the river, there's first of all, the best views of the Eiffel Tower are from that Trocadero circle. Yep. Um, and 
I actually, when I lived in Paris, I lived down the street from Trocadero. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so lucky. I had the most wonderful location. But that is, so that's in the 16th arrondissement. And that's one of the wealthiest, ritziest neighborhoods um, in the city. And so as you go north from Trocadero, that heads towards the Arc de Triomphe. And that's like very, very ritzy. So that's like where the um, like Peninsula Hotel is and, and some really nice hotels that way. And But as you go out sort of more towards the, what is that, west of the city, um, that is also beautiful, very fine, um, very quiet, very residential. There's actually, I don't like putting people, tourists out that far, but it's a great place to go wander. There's a lovely little house museum called that's got impressionist art in it called the Musée Marmottan that's out there that like is just so charming and no, no crowds, really, really nice. So now I'm gonna ask you a very personal question about me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite scene uh -huh. In American in Paris, yeah, is um, Gene Kelly and Karen. What was her first name? The the woman that he did. Not, uh, not Donna Karen. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, um, Leslie Karen. Leslie Karen. I knew that. Leslie Karen. <laughs> when they're along the Seine mm -hmm. and they dance to "Love Is Here to Stay." So, okay. for me, you know, I've been to Paris on several occasions, business and pleasure. You know that. That movie just encompasses everything that I treasure about that city. Do you have couples who come to you and say, I want the romance of Paris? And yeah. if they do, what do you do for them? Um, well, there's <laughs> there a couple different things. Um, there are some romantic dinners. I do actually think, um, I sort of go back and forth a little bit, but if you've never been to Paris, then a dinner cruise on the Seine in one of the glass uh, glass oh, ceiling boats yeah. is pretty nice. Um, especially you can do them upgraded and do them nice with a bottle of champagne or a bottle of wine. Um, those can be pretty romantic. Um, there are also little some a few like little corner tiny little restaurants that I like to recommend depending on where they're staying. Um, but yeah, I mean walking along the Seine, there's that spot. That, that picture of the Notre Dame that you posted with the announcement of this, that is on the other side of the Seine, other bank of the Seine from the Notre Dame, all along down in there is just such, I mean, it's been used in so many movies, like in an education, I mean, just so many movies with Paris, that bank of the Seine, either down, either along the street with all the little booksellers or down on the, on the river bank, um, which you just, there are staircases all along that you just go down. That walking along that is just at, at twilight. Take a bottle of wine and a brick of cheese and a baguette and sit down. And I mean, to me, that's pretty. That's quintessential. <laughs> yeah. I'd be pretty excited if a guy took me there, you know, I'm just going to say. <laughs> it just, you know, for, for anybody who's never been, mm. you know, you just, it's, it's intangible how it just, there's swoon. Yeah, there's something with the light, especially at twilight. There's just there really is something magical about the light of Paris. And and I don't know if it's the way it's situated or where the river is or what, but just the sun setting and it usually lights up um, uh, the Sacre Coeur, which you can see. So Sacre Coeur is on a hill on the north side, and the Eiffel Towers not on a hill, but it's on the sort of south um, west ish side of Paris. And so, but working between the two is is just almost always spectacular. 
And then also at night, you know, every hour the Eiffel Tower sparkles. So that's another great place to go and at the Trocadero Square, have a drink, watch the Eiffel Tower sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, what what has is anything being done? Uh, can you get onto the? Is it the Ilda? Ilda Cité. Yeah, Ilda Cité is actually the. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a very important island in the city historically of all time, but it is actually where the government is held. The federal government of France is held on the Ilda Cité, just across the big square. There's a big square in front of Notre Dame, mm -hmm. and just across the street of that square are the ministry buildings. And tucked in there is one of my hidden gems, which is the Saint Chapelle, which is the former royal chapel. And that's the one with all the stained glass windows. It's like a jewel box. It's amazing. So that's one of the things I almost always have clients do. But so that's all right across, like right across the way from the Notre Dame. So it's my understanding, and I've not been since the fire, unfortunately. Um, it's my understanding that you can still go to that square. You just can't get very close anymore um, because there is a, a like a safety wall blocking the cathedral because they haven't, I think they've kind of gotten to a, a point where they're still doing some studying because the scaffolding that they had erected and I might be speaking out of turn, but the scaffolding that they had erected before the fire, right? right? Cause they were, they were already, doing work on the building. Yeah, they were already doing work. So that scaffolding, they don't know if they can take it down without everything collapsing. So I think they're doing studies on how, what they can remove and when and how to start reshoring and rebuilding. Right. So, you can't get close to it, um, but you can still see it from across the river behind it. On the other island, the island that's right behind it is Ile Saint-Louis, right. which is a really charming little residential island. And um, there's a really great restaurant and beautiful views of the back of, of um, Notre Dame from there. Uh, so you can you know see the front side and back. I don't know how close you can get because on the other side of the church, there's streets. I mean, you know, it's... Yeah. I remember there were the like the the, the cheesy tourist. Yeah, it, it, those were narrow little streets yeah. right along the side of the cathedral. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how much of that street is. I'm sure that street is blocked off. I can I would only imagine. Um, and I and I and I don't know how much you know they've covered. You know how when they're restoring, they're, they often will put scaffolding up and then put like a a drawing of the thing i don't know how much they've done of that yet so i i don't actually know that but what has it what has the you know the, the damage to the cathedral done to how you approach you know giving people tours is it freeing up a day because they they or or are you saying no that we can still send them to that island to see this other chapel to yeah. so you that first day's walk i used to always include the notes but um right but now they're still, I still want them to see that center because it is the oldest part and such an important part. And I still want them to see Saint-Chapelle. So now I send them for sure into Saint-Chapelle to see those windows and to at least see an idea of Gothic architecture. It's a totally different, totally different situation than Notre Dame, obviously, but right. it's, um, you know, 15th, 16th century, I think. Um, 
maybe 17th, I, f- I forget, but um, it's old <laughs> and it's Gothic. So they get an idea of that, then they see Notre Dame and instead of taking the time to go in and visit Notre Dame and all the interior things, then they just continue on and maybe go you know, see the, the Hotel de Ville, which is city hall. And maybe, like I said, end in Place des Vosges, or if they're more interested in the Latin Quarter, they'll cross the river and see Saint-Michel and Saint-Germain. So we're going to be wrapping up in about five minutes. Yeah, let's get in in some good ones here. Long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no reason why we can't have another discussion later on. I mean, I'm not doing much of anything right now with this crazy. Yeah. But um, if there's one hidden gem that people should do. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a is it a certain type of meal? Is it a neighborhood to wander in? Um, is there something that you find that when you tell people about it and they choose to go off and do it, that mm-hmm. they come back having? Because you know, one of my little tiny stories was so my ex wife and I when we were in Paris and we did a a bunch of things, walked around the homeless, the whole city, had a late lunch, and mm-hmm. now we weren't sure if we were going to eat dinner, and we literally walked down an alley. Found a and ch- and challenged my French on this a, a patisserie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we found one that was closing. It was late in the afternoon, and we walked in, and the aromas were still there, even though they hadn't baked since the morning, um, or maybe they had baked a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, we didn't know what we wanted, but they had a bunch of stuff out, and we just kind of said, give me one of those, one of those. And then we looked at each other and said, you know what? Instead of ordering dinner, let's just take this back up to the hotel room and let's eat. Mm-hmm. And the woman behind the counter. When we rang it up, we knew it was wrong. And I said to her, I said, that's not enough. Are you sure you got everything? And she put up her hands and she said, we're only going to throw it out anyway. Aww. And she and, and all the counter staff were kind of looking at us and smiling affectionately. <laughs> and we just stumbled on this place. Do you have yeah. some couple upon places that you love? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many, like, that's the typical thing. Like, I know Parisians get the, the you know, perception of being rude. And sure. I'm not going to tell you you're never going to have a rude waiter in Paris, but <laughs> generally, I've had at least two. Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. It's just like New York; you're going to have rude people in New York too. Um, but uh, generally, especially if you come in, and so one of the big cultural things about France is when you walk into any establishment, you say bonjour, right? right. And so as long as you try and you say bonjour and you try and say merci, I mean, they all speak English, but as long as you just try a little bit, it goes a long way. It does. So my, I mean, I do, I actually try not to plan everybody's, like every dinner, because I do love that whole, let me stumble into this little corner place. It looks bustling and have a fantastic meal. Um, And I also think that sitting in a cafe for hours upon out, you know, you sit down at four to have a glass of wine and rest your feet. And then you sit there a little longer and then you say, oh, wait, let me order some cheese. You know, great. It's great. One of my favorite things to have people do actually is like you said, go to a patisserie or a boulangerie, grab a baguette and some, you know, maybe then go to the cheese shop, grab some cheese, maybe then go and grab some macaron from a sweet shop and then go to the park. Like, I haven't mentioned it yet, but Luxembourg Gardens are one of my favorite places in Paris. And it's it's a park that locals use. I mean, sure, tourists go there too, because it's in the um, the the Saint-Germain area. But it's, I mean, you can go and sit and watch old men playing boule, you know, like a uh, bocce ball. Or, yeah. um, you know, you can sit and do that. There's a beautiful fountain. There's, you know, you can't sit in the grass, but they always have chairs set up around the fountains and looking over the grass and stuff. And I mean, just sitting and having a picnic and, you know, somewhere like that 
I just think is one of the most quintessential, wonderful things in Paris. And if you're so focused on checking off the list, you might not do that. And so that's why I always like to leave, you know, I suggest that, but leave spontaneity, leave time for that. So. So to wrap up and you know what, then we're going to have to bring you back in a week (laughs) or two and let's talk about getting outside of Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, (laughs) because <laughs> <laughs> that is where I'm going next. I'm yeah. going to go to Italy, and then I want to mm-hmm. get out to the French countryside. So I want to yeah. do, do Italy, but probably not Rome, up to Tuscany, up to Lake Como, and then I want to do the French countryside. I mean, you know, Italy is one of those countries. You can just keep going back and back. Right? Yeah. Italy's fantastic, so. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, knock on wood, I'm going to get there. But, but if you were to tell someone the perfect time to go, not necessarily that the weather's the nicest or whatever, but the time where they can have these experiences we just discussed and do them where the venues aren't too crowded, that 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 the weather's not, I mean, I used to go, unfortunately, in, in the latter part of the fall because of business. And so it was colder. And sometimes it was pretty cold. Yeah. Um, what do you think um, people should be thinking about because we're gonna get through this coronavirus, hopefully by the middle of this summer, it'll be done with and we'll start to ramp things up. Mm. When should they plan this trip to Paris? So May, <laughs> which is when almost all of my people were going, uh, May is a beautiful month. Um, April can still be a little bit chilly, but anytime from the end of April, you know, Easter, um, uh, you know, that is really one of my favorite times. School's not out yet, so it's not so crazy. Um, and then September into early October, I wouldn't go too much into later October because, like, as you said, it does. It starts to get cold. Yeah, it, it, and it gets kind of gray, and it's just not. It's like, very gray. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes that can be fine, but part of the joy is you want to be walking around. And so when the weather is, you know, beautiful and starting to get crisp in September and into October is, is really great. I mean, if you want the pure, like the total beauty, spring with all the flowers and everything is, yeah. is prettier. But if you're not so into the flowers, then yeah, September, October. Okay. Just before, well, yeah. August is kind of miserable because it's hot. So many, all the French people take vacation the last two weeks in July and the first two weeks in August. So that month, a lot of stuff was closed, like, like the little corner. Well, there's always one boulangerie open in every neighborhood. But some of the other ones might be closed. You know, like people are on vacation. Your choices are fewer. Yeah. And also, it, the only people in Paris are the tourists. Like all the locals are. I don't dumb. want to hang out with them. <laughs> Even, I mean, I know for summer vacations, a lot of people go in July and August. But if you can avoid that, it's better. <laughs> okay. We're going to have you back. Thank you so much for your You're time welcome. today. I'm so grateful to and be thank able to you for doing this. I you love it. I love seeing all the people chatting about what they love about travel. Yes, and you certainly love Paris more than just about anybody I know. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Julia. Thanks for everything. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Be sure to check out TravelUnitesUs.com for all the latest from the Travel Unites Us community.